Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Tonight's message is entitled, The Importance of Eschatology. It's the only big word we're going to use all night. I wanted to throw out a big word in the title so that I don't have to use any more big words for the rest of the whole session. My objective tonight is to talk about, if you don't know that uh, term, eschatology means the study of something, the study of the end times. That's what eska is, I guess, eska, or eschata, eska, eschata, I don't know, whatever, eschata. Uh, So uh, the study of the end times, that's what eschatology means, and what we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk about the importance of it, but we're not going to use any big words. Now here's one of the things that I'm convinced of, okay, and it's the reason that I'm going to approach tonight from a very simple, uh, just folk sort of a standpoint. I think we have complicated the mess out of the end times. I think we have made end times so complicated. We have made talking about it so difficult. Well, are you in this camp with this big word, or do you believe this and this big word? Do you follow this and this line of thinking? It is so difficult, and I think it's part of the reason that we've scared the body of Christ away from the study of the end times is all the big words. And so tonight, we're not going to use big words. I'm not even going to talk about what this group believes, this group believes. I'm just going to give you very simplistically some ground rules for studying end times. I'm just going to give you simple ground rules and then help you, uh, hopefully help equip you with those simple ideas to figure out how to approach the Bible, to figure out how to approach that Bible teacher that teaches this or that about end times, to give you some simple, I mean like a grid work, a framework of how to do end times. And I think it's going to make so much sense that, you know, it'll hopefully be a, a, a resource to you. So I have a real passion about this because When we first started studying the end times in my living room back in 2007 or 2006, I realized really how simple end times is, and I was kind of mad at, well, if I can be honest, I was kind of mad at everybody, that they'd made it so hard to understand. Like, why do you got to use all these big words and, and, and make it sound like there's so many different options and it just, it, I was so irritated that it had become so complicated because as a guy who knew his Bible a little bit, when I heard these ideas presented, it registered to me as absolute clarity. There, there was like, it just cut right through all the options and the big words. I was like, this is not hard. We have made this hard and it's been a great uh, uh, dis, um, some service. That's the word I'm looking for. You can tell I am not in big word mode tonight. Uh, uh, It was a great disservice to the body of Christ that we've made it so complicated. So, I believe we're living in the most written about generation in the whole Bible. So the Bible writes about generations. I mean, that's not the entire point of the Bible. But the Bible talks about, you know, the generation of the Exodus. And then the Bible talks about the generation, you know, of Noah and the flood. The Bible talks about the generation of this group and that group. There is no generation that is written about more than the last generation when Jesus appears in the sky. The generation that sees Jesus come back is the generation that gets the most print. 
And it makes sense because it's kind of like the most epic moment in human history, okay? So I believe that we're living in that generation. And I'm not going to substantiate that claim tonight. That's not my purpose. I'll let you do that in other times and other settings, but I'm going to say it a number of times because I believe it wholeheartedly after studying the end time scriptures and looking at, you know, what's happening in life right now uh, for, you know, uh, over a decade, I've been watching this unfold. And I don't know how much time do we have left. We have, is it closer to 10 years or 50 years? I don't know. I can tell you this. I hope we have longer. In my heart, I hope we have more decades as opposed to fewer decades because of how ill-prepared we, the church, are for what's coming. So hear me again. It's not so that we can escape it. I'm not hoping that it's longer so that we're, we're not here and it's somebody else's problem. I'm hoping we have longer because when I look around at what the Bible says the church needs to be doing, thinking, preaching, believing, and living, and then I look at what the real church real right now is living, breathing, sleeping, drinking, whatevering, I'm not excited. <laughs> I look at that and I see a giant gap. And I go, this is a giant uh-oh. And it would be better for us if we have more time because right now we are wholesale so ill-prepared for what is coming and we are so focused on the wrong things and there's so little focus on the right things that I hope and pray we have more time because we are not ready. All right. Well, you guys know the, uh, the passage I'm going to read here out of Psalm 24, but I want to talk about, even if we've got 50 years left, we need to be spending all that 50 years, if we're given it, making ready for his coming. We need to be making ready for the coming of the king. Just think about the thought process of a king coming in procession into a city, into a city that's not home turf, it's not the capital city. It's some town out there. They're going to spend a year getting ready for that king to show up. Well, the planet right now needs to spend five decades, if we have that long, getting ready for the king of kings to come back to the planet because this is no ordinary man. This is the king of, this is Alpha and Omega that we just got done singing about. This is, this is Jesus who's going to come rule and reign. He's never come to do this before. He's never come in I am conquering king mode. He's never done it. So when he comes, we need to be preparing long before he comes. Now, I want to read you about this most written about generation. The generation that will see Jesus appear in the sky. Here's Psalm 24. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him. So this is describing a specific generation. This is describing the generation that will receive vindication from God their Savior. This is a generation that seeks God, but it seeks God in a specific context. They will receive blessing from the Lord. You know it says when Jesus, multiple times in the book of Revelation, says, my reward is with me. It says, I will bless you when I come. Okay? They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior, such as the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your hands, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. 
He is the King of glory. If you don't know the scriptures that relate to this specific point, when Jesus comes back, he's coming back as a warrior king. Book of Isaiah and Revelation as well describe him coming back as a man of war. Actual declaration of war. He is a man who is mighty in battle. You know, sometimes we sing songs that are pulling verses and phrases out of the Psalms or out of other places of the Bible, and we make them purely symbolic. You know, mighty in battle. And we think that means, you know, he's like strong. No, it actually means he's going to pull a sword out of his mouth and he's going to slash down the nations and he's going to trample them and there's going to be blood splattered on his garments, Isaiah 63. He is mighty in battle. When he comes and he is mighty in battle, there is a generation that will see him and it's a generation that will be vindicated. Why will that generation be vindicated? Because that generation will just have had to have stood against the greatest measure of deception and accusation and persecution from the Antichrist regime that any generation of Christians ever has experienced ever in their life. And so this is the generation who seeks him. There is one generation that is actually called the generation that seeks him. Not a few people, not a handful, not one tribe, not one people group, not one ethnic uh, group, a generation that will seek God and that will be vindicated when he comes, rewarded when he comes, and that will see the king of glory march into Jerusalem and who will be declared as king of the earth. He is the king of glory. Who is this king of glory? He is the Lord God Almighty. He is mighty in battle. This is the king of glory. There's a generation that will see this with their eyeballs. Never been one before. This has always had a measure of significance. This verse, this psalm, has always meant at least the, you know, the, the symbolic, he's strong, he's mighty, he's worthy to be worshipped. It's always meant that, but it specifically, prophetically means something very specific. It means he's coming back to the earth and, we're, and there's going to be every eye will see him. And then he will vindicate his saints who worshipped him a whole generation of people that will be giving themselves to the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean 100% of the population, but it does mean a generation that will be the most significant number of Christ followers that has ever been the case in human history, worthy of being called the generation that seeks God's face, the God of Jacob. Okay, well, if that's where we're, uh, if that's where we're at related to we're in that generation, is that 10 years, 20, 30, 50? I don't know. A generation can be all the way up to about 80 in the word, okay? But if we're in that generation, this changes your Tuesday, or it should. If we're in the generation that's going to see God with our eyes, Jesus Christ, it is time to align into that storyline and give ourselves to the narrative and begin to prepare. You know, his son only comes back once. It's the return of Jesus, if, for this is, if this is new for you, the return of Jesus for you as a Christian is called your blessed hope. He himself is not just your blessed hope. His return to planet Earth is called your blessed hope as a Christian. Let's read it. Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, 
to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our blessed hope is the second coming. Now, I don't know about you, that term blessed hope is like, it's kind of like violent sounding. I mean, it's like a big deal. That's a that's like a loaded term in the Bible. Our blessed hope. There is not a reference of that magnitude related to our hope anywhere else. This is called our blessed hope. Now, if there is something that's level 10, something I should be hoping for, and it is referred to in a unique way as this blessed hope, this thing that just by hoping in it, you'll be blessed. Just by thinking about it, you'll be blessed. Just your life into it by thinking upon it by aiming your life in that direction you'll be blessed i don't want to live my life without the blessed hope in mind if this is my blessed hope i want to live like this is my blessed hope but we've created a context in american culture that completely extracts the blessed hope out of the thought process the lifestyle and the expectation of the believer We've made a giant mistake. This is our blessed hope. We need to be investing in the blessed hope. Well, it just so happens, it makes sense. You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't say just crazy stuff for no reason. Holy Spirit has got purpose in what he says and does. It just so happens there are 150 chapters out of your Bible. Your Bible has 1,189 chapters in it. 150 chapters are dedicated to the second coming of Jesus Christ. The time period right before, the time of his coming, and the time period right after. That's over a tenth of your Bible is dedicated to the subject of your blessed hope. Oh, well, that's a lot of information. I guess maybe there's more to this blessed hope than one phrase in Titus. Yeah, there's 150 chapters on your blessed hope. 150 chapters, I'll tell you this, I know of no other subject in the Bible given that much attention. I know of no other subject in the Bible that has more information on it than that. And if there is, go find it, study that too. Because I mean, if there's more on something else, you want to study that too, that'd be a good thing to study. 150 chapters on the second coming, 150 chapters on our blessed hope, well, Holy Spirit, if you gave it that much print, it sounds like you actually think this is our blessed hope. Because aren't we supposed to like read our Bibles and know our Bibles and love our Bibles? Well, if a tenth of our Bible is about the second coming, again, I'm, I'm using that in a, in a most direct sense. It's the generation leading up to Jesus, the time of his appearing, and the time period after. But you could call all of that the second coming. If a tenth of the Bible is given to the subject of the second coming of Christ, our blessed hope, this is something we need to become intimately familiar with, not vaguely familiar, not I've heard it. No, I mean, we need to know those 150 chapters. We need to have clarity about what the word of God says about this thing that is called our blessed hope. We cannot ignore 150 chapters about the second coming of Jesus. And we just cannot. This is the Holy Spirit from the word of God declaring the importance of eschatology. Declaring the importance of studying the end times. It's called our blessed hope. 
It's called 150 chapters of your Bible. We have a weighty responsibility. We're talking about the most important season of human life. The transitional season. The, the transitions. You know how many times in human history we've transitioned ages? Never. We live in this current age. The next age starts when Jesus comes back. Humans have never experienced an age shift. It's never happened before. Not in human history. Before human history, there were ages. After Jesus comes, there are ages. We've never experienced an age pivot. Never. And I believe we're going to experience that within the lifetime of people in this room. An age shift. This is unbelievable. I mean, to the angels and to the demons and to everybody who's got a little bit of understanding and all that realm, this is a really big deal. We are talking about a very important season in the orchestration of the kingdom of heaven. This is the most important season that humanity has ever experienced. And that's why God gave us 150 chapters so that we could understand it, so that it, we wouldn't be aloof to it, that it would make sense. We go, oh, this makes sense of that. And, oh, this verse is just like that. Oh, the prophet said the same thing as Jesus said. Actually, Jesus was just quoting the prophets about himself, about his next, about his coming, his future coming. It all weaves together. It's a beautiful storyline. Well, this is kind of weighty, okay? This, let me tell you why it's weighty. There has never been a generation in human history that had 150 chapters written about itself in the Bible. So all the other generations... They could get by not knowing the 150 chapters because it didn't apply to them directly. But there's a generation that those 150 chapters, they don't apply in a general sense. They tell the future. They tell you what the headlines on the newspaper are going to read. They tell you what life is going to look like, the dictates of culture. 150 chapters that apply to a generation. That generation must embrace those 150 chapters. It is the generation that seeks God's face and that knows him and knows his plan. We're not talking about having the capacity for Bible trivia. Study the end times so that you can look smart in front of your friends. That's dumb. I'm talking about studying the 150 chapters that are about your future so you can partner with God. And if you don't know those chapters, you cannot. You cannot partner with God. Real simple. Those of you who have heard what, the, what it says in Luke chapter 6, give and it will be given to you. Press down, overflowing, with a good measure. And you know that Bible verse and that thought process in the Bible, so you give away money. Because you know if you give away money, God will give money back to you. Do you know if you don't know that Bible verse and that concept, you cannot partner with God and therefore you won't actually see the return? you got to know what it says to be able to apply it, to be able to experience it. There's 150 chapters about the second coming of Jesus that are about you partnering with Jesus' plan for your generation. 150 chapters that you need to know about the purposes of God for you and his final purposes in this hour before he pivots to the next age, the first time that's ever happened while humans were alive. This is so big. It doesn't get any bigger than this. This is the biggest thing ever. J.J. Abrams could touch this knot. I'm telling you, if all those crazy directors put the thing together for the most epic movie ever, it would so fall short by comparison to what we were talking about here. 
This is the most epic storyline ever, and we're being invited into it. More than invited, we have a responsibility to it. We have a responsibility. It's given so that we might understand, so that we can live right, so that we can live appropriately. Think about how how, uh, uh, inappropriate it is to live, if this is true, and the time frame is decades, not hundreds of years. Think about how inappropriate it is to live some other way, to live not in light of these 150 chapters. How inappropriate. I mean, just the angels must be hand on head shaking their head at us. Like, do they know who they are? Do they know they're the generation that sees the Son of God appear in the sky? Do they know we helped write these 150 chapters? We came and showed up and gave prophets prophetic words that got written down. Michael, you said that thing. They're ignoring you, Michael. Gabriel, they're ignoring you. The angels in heaven must be just beside themselves that the generation that's going to see Jesus appear in the sky isn't giving ourselves to understand what has been given to us, what has been written. Tell you this, the source of correct information is not the news. The source of correct information is not whatever, you know, website you follow. The source of correct information is the Bible. The problem is, it's so much easier for us to just turn on the news than to read the Bible and to try to understand it. It's so much easier for us to just believe what we hear that prophet saying than it is for us to study the word of God ourselves and understand what the word says. But the intention was always that you would understand the word of God for yourself. You know what? There is no transformation that occurs in your life by someone else's revelation. If they have a revelation, and it's true, and they say it out loud, and you hear it, and you go, aha, and then you go to the word and see that it's true, now you can give your heart to it, now you're transformed. So it doesn't matter who waves the flag and says, this is a revelation, this is a revelation, that can be you find it on your own, that could be a bumper sticker, that could be a preacher, but as long as it's only their revelation, it does make no impact in your life. It makes no impact. You've got to internalize it, and you actually don't internalize it by hearing a message. You get alerted that there is a treasure trove of of gold, of revelation, by a message. A message alerts you to revelation. It does not impart revelation. You'll get alerted, and you go, I need to go read the Word. (laughs) I need to go get in the Word of God about that subject, that idea, that... And that's where the revelation comes, is by you fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit, reading your Bible, and asking him for revelation. And again, I am all for people waving a flag and saying, here's something you should study. That's a great. That's why you should listen to messages. Not so that you can be discipled and instructed and have everything you need, but so that you can be alerted about what you don't have, so that you can go dig it yourself. That's what, the word of, that's what preaching is supposed to do. I just look at this weighty, revel- this weighty responsibility that we have. 2 Timothy 2.15, and then a little later in 2 Timothy 3.16. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. We're going to talk about this correctly handling the word of truth here in just a minute. Correctly handling the word of truth means you know what it says 
and you're responding to it rightly and using the Word of God the way it's supposed to be used. And I'll just tell you this, Bibles that are collecting dust are not being correctly used. I mean, I know these days, most of you probably just use your Bible app or whatever. That's fine. It's the same. But my point is, an unused Bible, unused biblical text, just leaning on messages or I'm in the right camp. I, I run with the right people. They're smart enough. I'll be okay. Leaning on things other than you understanding the word of God is dangerous. What if you're with a bunch of stupid people? And what if they dress real nice and talk real smart and have degrees and it, they just seem like smart? And what if they're total idiots and you're running with them believing that that's a good idea? You need to understand the word of God. It's the logos. It's the, it's the active word of God. Jesus is in the text. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You can understand your Bibles. It's a lie that says you can't. You can understand your Bibles. That weird passage, end times, New Testament, Old Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, everything. You can understand it. You can understand it. It's a lie that says you can't. You have to have a degree to understand that. That's a lie. You have to be a super smart IQ, whatever. That's a lie. You can understand your Bibles or Jesus is a meanie face. Give you a Bible you can't understand. Here, it's the secret to life. Sorry you're so stupid. <laughs> stinks to be you. If you were smart, you could understand my Bible, but no, sorry, that's not how I did it. Whatever. We come to him like little children. We read what it says, and we say, yes and amen. It's really not that hard. We've complicated it. And people with big brains have made this very, very difficult for dumb people like me. Be dumb like me. You'll be just fine. You do not need to be smart to understand your Bible. You just need to be aggressive in reading it. All right. All scriptures God breathed. It's useful for teaching. Remember 150 chapters? 150 chapters about the end times. All scripture. All those 150 chapters. All scripture. It came from God. And it's useful in Jesus' name for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's 150 chapters about the second coming of Jesus that were given by God's breath to equip you for good works. Partnership with him in the last days. There's 150 chapters. You can understand them. All right, now, this is where I'm gonna, I'm just gonna take all the theological ideas and arguments, and I'm going to talk to folk. We're just going to go, I mean, like, you know, third grade here, okay? We're going to be all right. There are a lot of wrong ideas out there, and I'm going to help you identify wrong ideas. I'm not going to use terms or this is or that's. I'm going to help you identify wrong ideas. So if you hear a wrong idea, you'll go, that's a wrong idea. Real simple. There are ideas that dismiss the literal nature of the Bible. There are ideas, not just about end times, but about a lot of things, that say, nah, that doesn't really mean that. They just, you know, I know Jesus, you know, said this. I know the book of Revelation says there's going to be these, like, really crazy plagues and blood in the water, but it doesn't really mean blood. You know, it means red dye or, or algae. It means red algae. That denies what the Word of God says. It's blood. It's blood. It's not algae. It's blood. 
why not just call it algae if it's algae? God made algae. I don't know why he made algae, but I guess some fish out there is hungry. God knows what he's talking about. There are end-time ideas that dismiss the plain-sense meaning of a text. That might be a better way to say it than even literal. The plain-sense meaning of a text. If it calls the water's blood, it's blood. doesn't mean anything. It just means blood. Yeah, it means yucky water don't get in. That's what it means. I don't like swimming in blood. I've never done it before. I hope to die that way too. There are ideas that dismiss the little nature of the Bible, but, but again, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. What? As soon as, as soon as we have to start to figure out, well, does blood mean blood or does, does locust mean locust or does locust mean helicopter? Like as soon as we have to start interpreting what it is that's written, it makes it very, very difficult. Let me tell you what is so kind. Jesus all the time would say, all, of Jesus it would say this, and Jesus told them a parable. You know what parable means? Symbolism. When he didn't use symbolism, it wasn't symbolic. In the book of Revelation, there are several times where it says, I'm a symbol, interpret me. And then the Bible interprets itself and tells you what the symbol means. If it doesn't say it's a symbol, it's not. There's no reason to make one. Let's just read the Bible like we read John 3.16. For God so loved the world. You know, the world must mean like if you just work in the marketplace. God so loved the world. He loves the world, you know, the world. And that anyone who believes on him, anyone, anyone must mean something. Anyone, it's symbolic. You know, you gotta, you gotta be special. That's what anyone means. Anyone means anyone that believes in him wouldn't perish. You know, wouldn't perish. That's symbolic. It means, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Let me tell you why I'm frustrated. I came to know Jesus. I was an atheist. I knew nothing. I started reading the Bible. It made lots of sense. Like I, I was like, this means this, this means this. And smart people were trying to talk me out of it and trying to give me interpretations that meant something else. It's really simple. The Bible says what it means. It means what it says. And unless it says, I'm a symbol, I'm a parable, I'm a sign, if it doesn't say that, don't make it one. In fact, what, what devaluing of God's reasoning, it does, if we can make anything symbolic, when many times in the word, God goes out of his way to specifically identify something as symbolic. Why even call one thing symbolic if everything's symbolic? Or if everything can be? The stuff that's symbolism is called symbolism. The stuff that's not, isn't. Jesus said this in the book of Revelation. It's pretty intense about this idea of dismissing literal things in the Bible. Jesus said this, I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy, the book of Revelation, the prophecy on the scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. Bad. If anyone takes words away from the scroll, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which is described in the scroll. Jesus makes it really clear. The book of Revelation means what it says. It's totally crazy. So is God giving up his son for people who hate him. That's crazy. That's impossible. And it's our gospel. It's the truth. We believe God does crazy stuff. Let's not limit it because it's weird to us. 
or we can't see it with our eyes. That's what faith is. It's believing what the Bible says. We want to make sure that we have a version of our end time thought process that's filled with faith that the Bible is true. Next, there are a lot of wrong ideas out there. There are ideas that dismiss the details of the scripture. This is what this looks like. A Bible passage says this, 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 and this. And might even be prophesying about things that are going to come. There are wrong ideas out there that pick and choose which pieces have to happen and which pieces God didn't really mean that. He just accidentally stuck that in that verse. This and this are true, but that's not true. This and this have to happen. That doesn't have to happen. Now, I'm telling you this because there are wrong approaches to the study of the end times. There are wrong approaches to eschatology that pick and choose which parts are are actually going to happen. And they dismiss other details of the text. Let me just tell you this. When it said Jesus needed, he was going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, that didn't mean a cow. It also meant if he came into Jerusalem and he wasn't on a donkey, that thing hasn't happened yet. When it said he was going to be sold for 30 silver shekels, 30, you know, shekels of silver, it meant 30 shekels. And if he didn't get sold for 30 shekels, that still has to happen. But he did, and he did. There's a lot of things related to the end times where people go, well, this happened in this period of time, or this happened. These details didn't. We don't really know what to do with that. We're just going to toss them. That's irresponsible. We, we can't have a version of end times that takes parts of the end time scriptures and says, yep, that's real and true, and then takes other parts and throws them out and says, yeah, that, we don't, that, that doesn't need to happen because these other things happened. The Holy Spirit like got a little schizo. He was writing, and then he just started adding extra words in there. It's like, I don't know. I'm just in a Holy Spirit good mood. I'm just going to write some extra words that don't matter, and it won't happen. That's bizarre. That's not how God works. If he wrote it, it's going to happen. Jesus said this, truly I tell you this generation, talking about the generation that he returns to, will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus just got done giving a long list of things. You can take it to the bank. This is going to happen. 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 And then I'm going to come right after that. There are people that take, and I'm, I mean, I'm sure they came to their conclusions as best as they knew how, but they came to their conclusions that said, well, these things didn't need to happen. These things already happened. These things, you know, it's not part of, of God's redemptive plan. They just throw it out. It's, that's, we don't want a version of eschatology that is negligent with the details of Scripture. They're in there for a reason. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. I, I love that verse because I just feel like that was Jesus's, like, it was the most power-packed way in one sentence he could say, guys, there's about a bajillion prophecies about me that haven't happened yet, and I'm about to die on a cross. They ain't over yet. This storyline is on pause. It isn't over. This line right here, everything written about the Son of Man, everything written about Jesus, everything written about the Messiah, everything has to come to pass, just like the law and the prophet, everything in the Scriptures. And Jesus died with most of the promises about him not occurring. He says, I just want to make you real clear, that means there's a round two. 
because I am going to see every one of the words that's been written about me come to pass. There are ideas, wrong ideas about end times that dismiss the need for study. All these wrong ideas lead to confusion about the end times and they make the prophetic scriptures, scriptures that have not yet happened, scriptures that are talking about the future, most of which are talking about the last generation. They make the prophetic scriptures irrelevant and frustrating. You get all these wrong ideas in there and it's like, I don't know about the end times. That's just, that seems weird and I don't get it and it doesn't make any sense to me and it's not, I'm not even sure if it's real. Those ideas are dangerous. They make the Bible not relevant. They make the Bible. It's not like end times is some extra book. It's in the Bible. There are ideas that dismiss the need for study. Any approach to the end times that doesn't include a lifestyle of study so that we know what to watch for and pray for and that, our, that would cause our spirits to be tender and listening to the leadership of the Holy Spirit it's both unwise and it dismisses what Jesus told us related to our responsibility that we could stand before him when he comes back. Let me read this verse. This is in Luke chapter 21, 32 through 36. Truly, I tell you, this generation, talking again about the last generation, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Be careful, last generation, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. Can anybody relate to that weighed down with anxieties of life thing? You'll be weighed down. And what will be the cause if you're not careful? What will be the effect, rather, if you're not careful? That day, the second coming, will close on you suddenly like a trap. It will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that's about to happen and that you could be able to stand before the Son of Man. I don't know about you. I want to stand before him. I want, him, I want to be in a place, in a posture, in a pursuit that I'm able to stand before him. He says, you need to be careful or you won't stand. Catch it? Be careful, stand. Don't be careful, don't stand. This is a real issue. And he's talking about what's going to happen in the last generation. It's going to get so not so crazy, so intense, so heavy, so difficult in every way, people are going to be weighed down if they're not rooted in the storyline and if they're not being careful, careful to do what? Being watchful and prayerful. You know, if you don't know what your Bible says, you can't watch for the right stuff. What are you watching for? Just watching the news, see what happens? How do you know if what's in the Bible is happening if you don't know your Bible? Watchful requires study. If you're going to be watchful, you have to be a person who's studied. Otherwise, you don't know what you're watching for. You could be seeing it coming and having no clarity at all that that's it. Watch and pray. A lifestyle of prayerful study-filled preparation for the return of Jesus. He says, if you're careful, i.e., you watch and pray, you'll be ready when I come. If you're not careful, you will be weighed down because it's going to be so intense, you will be weighed down. It's going to close on the whole earth like a trap. There's one way to escape the trap. You need to be careful. And careful looks like watchful and prayerful. That's intense. 
There, any approach to the end times that dismisses your personal need to study the end times is dangerous. You need to study the end times. Ideas that dismiss Jesus' warning about the coming deception. I gave you a little there, but keep going. Matthew 24, 4-5 says this, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. Do you know Jesus is talking to his 12 apostles? We need to take that into account. He's got 12 apostles. These are the guys. These are the dudes. Right? These are the ones that we read about. They're the heroes of the faith. We even know a few of their names. Probably can't list all 12 of them. Just off the top of your head. Maybe some of you Bible school students. But, but these are the heroes of the faith. And he looks at the heroes of the faith and he says, Hey, um, don't be deceived. Watch out. No, 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 I don't need to watch out. I'm one of the 12 apostles. No, no, friend, you most certainly need to watch out, Mr. One of the 12 Apostles. You absolutely need to watch out. There's going to be guys that show up claiming to be Jesus Christ, and they're going to be believable enough. If you don't know your Bibles, you will fail. You will fall. Because they'll look enough and smell enough like the real deal, you'll be deceived. No, no, I won't be deceived. Watch and pray. That's how you avoid it. You watch and pray. Because many will come in my name. Many will come claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. It's a lot easier if Jesus is talking to the lost crowd. Hey, all y'all that don't know me already, watch out, you're going to be deceived. It's terrifying when he's talking to his 12. He says, hey, 12, many will be deceived. Do you hear me? It's really important you pay attention. Matthew 24, 24 through 25, top of page 4. False Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you ahead of time. Jesus is like, I'm trying to make this as clear as possible. You need to understand the 150 chapters. You need to understand so that you're not deceived. It's actually, it's, it's 2 plus 2 equals 4. Before you take a test in school, you study the information, and then you take the test. You're not given a test without the information first. You study the information. Now, if you choose to ignore the information you're supposed to be studying, you will get a shiny goose egg on your test. And it will be all your fault because the information was given to you, but you chose not to study, therefore you failed the test. We're talking about the biggest, most important test in human history. And not just personal pass-fail, we're talking about glory of Jesus, partnering with the blessed hope, making ready for the return of Christ, the greatest honor that could be given to humanity, to make ready the coming of the King. Ah, oh, sorry, I didn't study for that test. I was too busy. I thought it was too confusing. I didn't want to didn't want to press her. It's just weird to me. I didn't get it. Fail. <laughs> Do we get this? There's 150 chapters that have been given to us that we might understand and partner with him. Ideas that set us up for the great falling away. It's important that we understand this concept. You can't fall away unless you were a there. You gotta be a there to fall away. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. Same context, all this deception rising. 
At that time, many will turn away from the faith. Huh? Many? Turn away from Jesus? Yes, many. Well, I didn't know that that was possible. Jesus was just talking to people that loved him. Don't be deceived. You can be deceived and fall away. Don't be deceived. Let me tell you how to not be deceived. Study the end time scriptures. Study what it says I will do, won't do, what will precede me, what will happen when I come. You study it. Don't trust the person with the microphone. You study it. Because at that time, many will turn away from the faith. They'll even betray and hate each other. I used to go to church with that guy. Yeah, he's betraying and hating me now. Well, what happened to him? He fell away. Why did he fall away? Because he started to believe wrong ideas about the end times. And he didn't have the safeguard of knowing the 150 chapters himself. He just believed whatever the group said. What if whole groups fall away? Some will. This is really important. This is big time. They'll be trained hating each other. Many prophets, false prophets, will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. The love of most? Horrifying. Grow cold? You know what grow means? It means it didn't happen in a day. It meant diluted, 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 less interested, don't care, I'm gone. Grow cold with false ideas that they didn't have a plumb line to be able to defend the truth. It's really simple. We've been given the truth. It's the word of God. All scripture is God-breathed and it's useful to you. It's 150 chapters that are designed to help you not fall away. Listen, I want to say this as clear as Jesus did. At that time, many Christians will turn away from Jesus. Their hearts will grow cold because of the increase of wickedness in the culture, and they will go to hell. I want us to see this. This is, this is Jesus. Like, just imagine Jesus is out on a walk right before the, you know, the Olivet Discourse here, Matthew 24. He's out on a walk, and he's healing people, and he's you know, rubbing kids' heads and stuff. And he's like, there will be many that will fall away. He just goes into like hyper, you know, prophet mode because it's the most important thing he could tell people. Just because you started off down the trail doesn't mean you're going to finish right. You've got to follow the instruction. The instruction's really simple. It's really not complicated. It's really not. Watch and pray. You don't watch, you don't pray, it's not going to go well. We have weighty responsibility. This generation has weighty responsibility. Well, let me tell you the beautiful thing that Jesus did. He wrote in this thing called the role of the priests. The priests, historically, and now, and in the future, are supposed to be the guardians of the truth. The priests are supposed to be the ones that loudly proclaim what God says, what the Word of God says, what the truth is that is written. They're supposed to loudly proclaim the reality of who He is. Now check this out. The days are coming. This is describing a massive increase of priests in the last days. A massive increase of priests in the end times. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the Levitical priests will never fail to have a man stand before me continually to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to present sacrifices. If you can break my covenant with the day and night so that the day and night no longer 
come at their appointed time, then my covenant with the Levites who are priests ministering before me can be broken. I will make the Levites who minister before me as countless as the stars in the sky and as measureless as the sand on the seashore. I want to tell you, I believe the prayer movement, which we're a part of, is a significant component to this prophecy finding its fulfillment. An incalculable number of priests who minister before the Lord. The priests who minister before the Lord. Now let me tell you what's supposed to happen here. Here's why God gave charge to the priests. The priest's job, Old Testament or New Testament, the priest's job is to minister before the Lord lots and lots of hours a day, a week, a month, a year. Lots of hours. Here's what's supposed to be happening. As they minister in the Lord's presence, they're encountering Jesus. They're fellowshipping with Jesus. They're getting to know Jesus. They're getting Jesus' heartbeat. Their ideas are being transformed. Their desires are being transformed. They're in the presence of God, and they're being refined so they can be useful. They're being refined for friendship. They're being refined in love. But they're being refined as priests. They're being refined to be useful. To be useful what? Well, how? To be messengers. Let's read it. Priests are responsible to know God and to make him known. Look at Hosea 4.6. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Yeah, we know that verse, right? Well, who's it rest on? Because you've rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. The priests rejected the knowledge first. And then the people followed suit. When the priests are pursuing God, And they're in the place of his presence. And they're pursuing the knowledge of God, the understanding of God, the revelation of God's purposes, the revelation of his character, revelation of his nature, of his his plans for a generation. Then they can loudly hoist the flag and call people to it. When the priests are off, a generation gets off. Look what it says. Just This is the most written about generation. The most amount of prophetic insight The clearest practical training, 150 chapters of practical training about how to live. Never been such a generation with so many details. Look what Malachi 2.7 says. Same idea. The lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge. Knowledge about how the dishwasher works. Knowledge about traffic laws. The knowledge of God. The lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge. And from his mouth men should seek instruction because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. Those that are called to his presence are called to be messengers. But do you know, you can't be a messenger. You can't say anything accurate unless you have understanding about the thing that you're saying. Otherwise, what you will declare won't make any sense. It will have no revelation on it. You don't get revelation by a quick read-through. You get revelation by meditation. By time in the word, by time in his presence. You get revelation through time. It just takes time. There, you might get a nugget, but a nugget isn't a message. A nugget doesn't transform a generation. God is looking for a multiplication of priests in the earth that are in his presence to gain revelation that then can be messengers who can prepare the way for the second coming. This is the generation of Jacob. The generation that will seek God's face and will be vindicated when he comes. This is the generation that's given that level of revelation. I'm going to skip down to verse uh, to part four here. Part four, the question, how will it go for you? I want to go after this. 
Sometimes you can hear a message about end times and think, man, that was really cool. I learned a nugget of truth or two. That is not what this message is. This message is supposed to be a confrontation with the 12,000 nuggets you don't know. This isn't to give you a nugget. It's to accuse all of our hearts and go, I need revelation. I need living understanding of God, of this generation, of the calling of God in this generation, of his purposes, of what the blessed hope means. This message is supposed to confront the 12,000 nuggets that are accessible to us, but that we don't have because we've not dug in the word to get that revelation. The question of how this will go for you. Some have wrongly judged the end times as an unimportant subject that doesn't require attention. They dismiss it with statements about there being more important subjects to focus on. End times is not the only thing we need to focus on, but it is absolutely something we must focus on. They dismiss it with a cavalier statement, it'll all work out in the end. It'll all pan out in the end. The question isn't, will it all pan out? The question is, how will it pan out for you, your family, and the people you're supposed to be helping understand what's happening? The question isn't, will the kingdom of God still happen? Of course the kingdom of God will still happen. Whatever crazy thing you decide to do or not do, God is still going to accomplish his purposes on the planet, I promise you. That's not the question. The question is, where will you be in the storyline? Because Jesus said, if you're not careful, you're going to get swept up caught in a trap. The words of Jesus. So this idea that we can just dismiss the end times, it's not that important, you know, it's not really that big of a deal, that's erroneous. That, that is not accurate. I know it sounds clever. It's far easier to not have to think about hard things and to study the word of God. It's far easier to just, you know, go hang out. I know that. But the word of God demands the response that we would be preparing for what it is that's coming. I'm going to give you a few tidbits here and we'll close out. Worship team, you can probably start making your, team, your way up. You yourself need understanding. You need to know what God says about the end times. You can't rely on others to know what the word says. You need to know. It's not enough for a lost person to know a saved person. The lost person needs to know Jesus. And as long as they don't know Jesus, I don't even know really how great it is that they know a saved person. I mean, I guess that's an on-ramp to know Jesus. But it doesn't change their life. It's not enough that you know people who know end times. You need to know end times. You yourself need to understand. You cannot rely on something this important for others to know. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 4. Paul's writing to a whole church of believers. By the way, he spent three weeks with them when he was there. He spent three weeks, 21 days. That's how long he was with the church at Thessalonica. He's writing them and he says, you know very well. How, how can he say this unless he taught them? You know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. It's like Jesus was talking about in uh, Luke 21. Yeah. 
People are saying peace and safety. Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But brothers, you're not in the darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. We're not supposed to be surprised. We're supposed to be tracking. Each of us as individuals is supposed to know what the Word of God says about this subject. Next, you need a sober mind to process what's coming. A sober mind. Sober mind, you cannot be distracted. Sober mind, you got to have your, your, your eyes fixed. Look at what 1 Peter 4, 7 says. The end of all things is near. Therefore, let me give you some important details. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so you can pray. Remember Jesus said, watch and pray? Here it is again. The end times is about having a sober mind, clear-minded so that you can read the scriptures and understand them. Self-control in your lifestyle so you can actually give time to the 150 chapters. And what's it all for? It's all so that you can have an intimate prayer life with Jesus and understand the plans that are about to unfold for the earth. Be clear-minded and self-controlled so you can have an actual prayer life. This is the prescription for what we're supposed to be doing. You need a sober mind. You need to be able to explain things to others. You know, if you can only swim well enough to get you out of the deep end, your friend's drowning next to you, go take another round of swim lessons. If you've only got enough capacity to swim out of the deep end, but your buddy's over there drowning, take another set of swim lessons so you can get your friend out. You need clarity. Daniel 12, 1 through 4, at that time, talking about the end times, there will be a time of distress such as has not come from the beginning of nations until then. A time of great distress. But those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens in that hour. And those who lead many to righteousness, they'll shine like the stars forever and ever. But what's this about? Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Seal up the revelation about the end times until the last generation. It will be opened again so a generation can go deep in the word of God related to the second coming. Get enough clarity that they can be wise ones. Those that lead many to righteousness. You have got to understand the end time storyline well enough you can talk somebody else into it. Well enough you can make sense to other people and you can with authority on your words, with conviction in your spirit, with a lifestyle that aligns to it, you can call others out of darkness. And there's a prophecy here. There will be those that will rise up in the time of greatest distress, the time of the great tribulation, in the end times. There will be those that will rise up. They're wise ones. How did they get wise? They were watchful and prayerful for decades before the time hit. They did not start studying for the test the night before. They're the wise ones being forged in the place of prayer, study, and fasting in order to gain revelation that they might be messengers who will be used of God in the most important time of human history to snatch people out of the fire, to lead many to righteousness in the most difficult time of human history. You need to be able to discern wrong ideas. If you don't feel comfortable yet being able to discern what's true about the end times, what's false about the end times, 
you need to recognize you're in a not okay position. You need to go on the offensive and get clarity about the end times. Let me tell you how you do it. You need the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and here's how we get it. Here's how we partner with the spirit of revelation, wisdom and revelation. You live a life of prayer. Jesus said, watch and pray. We're not going to get the revelation we need without the prayer component. Second, you pray for an increase of the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's helpful. That's not enough. You've got to study what the spirit has already said. 150 chapters of what the Holy Spirit has already said. Wisdom and revelation right there. You don't even have to have an aha moment with God. You can just read your Bible and have the Word of God speak to your heart and partner with the Spirit of Wisdom and Revelation and then talk about it. Let me tell you why we spend every Saturday night at the prayer room talking about the end times. To help us do this. Because we are living in a generation that is nearly bankrupt in understanding of the most important event in human history, the second coming of Jesus in the sky. And the way that we get it is we talk about it, we pray about it, we read, we study, we mill over it, we take that back to the Lord, we pray some more, we get some more revelation next week, we talk about the same Bible passage a year later, Holy Spirit, give me more revelation, and he starts waving, opening the scroll of Daniel 12 to the generation that's going to need it. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.